Welcome to the Winners Find a Way show and podcast with your host, Trent M. Clark, three-time World Series coach, CEO of Leadershipity, serial entrepreneur, having started 12 companies, coach to the 1%, and an international speaker. This show is going to be your go-to podcast for facing adversity, being inspired, and overcoming obstacles, all from the best in the world, business, sports, and leadership. Hate the crappy ingredients in many beverages and energy drinks? Rebellious Infusions are the go-to functional beverage. They have five or fewer plant-based organic ingredients. No sugar, no calories, loaded with antioxidants to boost your immune system. And L-thionine for brain health. Rebellious Infusions are available at drinkrebellious.com. Rethink your drink. For 10% off of your next purchase, use the code 99999. Hello and welcome to the Winners Find a Way show. I am your host, Trent Clark. Excited about today's show. I've got my good friend, Michael Levin. Michael, how are you doing, buddy? I'm great, Trent. Thank you for having me on. I'm really stoked to be here. Thank you. Yeah, you know, Michael, we hadn't got a chance to know each other that long, and you came in as a referral for me for the show. And so it's just been an honor getting to know you and, and, and learning about your background. It's so cool. And so it is going to be an awesome show. I am your host, Trent Clark three-time World Series coach. I am a serial entrepreneur, international speaker, and currently the CEO of Athletic Influencer Marketing, an NIL education company, as well as a founder of Leadershipity. So super excited to have you on the show as we talk about winners find a way. Michael, the crazy thing about your background is that you know when we think of authors, we think like, oh man, I've, I've, I've written three or four books. Like you have been a part of creation, consulting, editing, 900 plus books. Is that accurate? Yeah, that's accurate. And it's freaky to even think about it. But about four years ago, I sold my prior ghostwriting business. So I had to actually stop and, you know, make a client list and add everything up. And at the time it was in the 700s and, you know, four years have gone by and another 150, 180 books that I've been involved with since. So yeah, it's over 900. I mean, it's nutty. But So listen, if, if someone out there wants to write a book and, yeah. and you need like a bestseller, like, hey, just so you know, right now, you call Michael Levin, you get in touch with him and, you know, it's almost a shoe in, right? It's a guarantee. Is that it, Michael? It's a lock. It's a promise. <laughs> it's a promise. The reason it's a promise is that I can deliver a really quality book. And then, you know, one of the dirty little secrets of the publishing industry is that you can pay people for bestseller status. So yeah. you can have Wall Street Journal bestseller status for $60,000. For another 15, you can be number one on the list. Same thing with USA Today. It's a dollar figure. It's a dollar figure. So don't believe the hype. And All right. what I tell people is don't worry about having a best selling book. Have a best earning book. Have a book that's out there making you money. Yeah. And that's, that's, you know, that. you know, that's kind of my specialty. Is best I love that. Yeah. A best earning book. Best Before we get book. into this. Tell them where they can find you, Michael, because now, you know, now I got like, you know, 800 like, you know, audience members who need to call you because they want a best earning book now. Sure. The website is Michael Levin writes, W-R-I-T-E-S dot com, Michael Levin dot com. And Trent, I'm going to give your audience my cell number, which I love is, that. you know, it might sound wacky, but I just trust that the only people who are going to call are the people who either really, really hate what I have to say <laughs> or really resonate with it. It's 617 617- Five four three three seven four seven. I'll say it again. It's six one seven five four three three seven four seven. So if you want to talk, call me or hit me with a text or whatever. And uh, you know, no operators are standing by. It's myself, so don't call at eleven o'clock at night. That's <laughs> 
Yeah, I love this, Michael. And and listen, this is only on the Winners Find a Way show that, you know, the best selling and best earning authors actually give their whole cell phone right out there. And by the way, if you're an audience member of my show, which I don't have any of these people, of course, who are, you know, ill-willed, <laughs> bad people. I don't have any, right? It just doesn't exist, Michael. So that's a good company. But, you know, I had another NFL great on my show give his cell phone or two. And he's like, and, and everyone's like, you know, people freak out about me giving my cell phone. Like, listen, if you're an a-hole, I will block you. Like, I'm just like, you know, like, he's like, I will shut you off in a minute, you know? And I just thought that was so great because technology actually rules the day. And so that's pretty cool. Let's talk a little bit about your background. You know, you're, you're a local, you know, New York kind of guy, grew up in Nassau County, always, you know, been in that area, but you know, adult life really doesn't live there. Like you're really a SoCal and a Boston guy. Just recently right. now, have you moved, moved back to the metro? Is that fair? That's exactly right. I lived in Boston or Southern California, kind of back and forth my whole adult life. And we're, I'm married 23 years, four kids. And so we basically followed our kids. They're all somewhere here in the New York area doing something. Yeah. So we just followed so, them. So it wasn't a girl that took you to SoCal. No, I met my wife in SoCal. I met her, oh, met her in yoga class. I, I liked her downward facing dog. And yeah, just great, great lower back flexibility. Oh man, you got to so, stay. Yeah, exactly. And, and you got her out of SoCal into Boston. Like yeah. you, you, you've got to have game, buddy. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I was driving a Saturn at the time, so clearly I have. <laughs> yeah, I mean, one of my buddies. It's kind of a silly story. One of my buddies came up to me and said, "Hey, I got a really great new pickup line." I'm like, "What's that?" Because every guy wants it. It's he says, "It's do you want to go to a movie?" I said, that's the stupidest pickup line ever. He said, no, no, no. Everybody wants to go to a movie. You got to try it out. So, you know, I'm in yoga class and I was talking to this girl the previous week. And then I just, you know, we're walking out and I said, hey, do you want to go to a movie? And there's this long pause. I'm like, boy, that was lame. She said, okay. So, and she gave me her number and I thought, well, I'm going to clean up with this. Well, you know, one and done. So that was that. Yeah. It worked once. You know, that's pretty good right there, right? Like that's one and done. I love it. Yep, That was it. So. That is awesome. All right, Michael. So let's get into a little bit of the background because probably when people think best-selling author, best-earning author out there, you know, part of nine hundred, and you know, people really. I've had a couple authors on my book, and a couple EO members that are also really good authors. You know, very well well written, and I've worked with Jerry Jenkins as well. And you know, one of the things that authors seem to always get to me is. Everybody wants to write a book. Very, very, very few people actually finish one. And so they have a lot of what I would call, I think I'd call it admiration for the person who actually go out, goes out and does it. Do you feel that same way? Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, there are two things about that. One is that when I, when I teach writing and I taught at UCLA and NYU and around the country, I always say, okay, quick pop quiz. Who here has ever read a bad, bought and read a bad book? Everybody laughs, put their hand up. So who here has ever w- watched a bad movie or a bad TV show? And everybody laughs hard. They put their hand up. I said, okay, great. Now, what do they all have in common? All those bad books and bad movies and TVs, TV Finished shows. It. It's that they got to the finish line. And, you know, I have, I call my, my laptop my $2 million hard drive because yeah. I have roughly $2 million worth of books that are paid for, that people paid me to write and that are completed. And we just have to push go. And it's out there. And I can't get them on the phone. Some people just have a phobia around you know, finishing or being judged or something like that. I always tell people, don't think about the critics because there are no critics. That's just an illusion. Think about the people your book is going to help. Think about the people only you can touch and only you can improve their lives. And sometimes they don't get there. So I, whenever I see a book, I'm like, I know it's almost like when you have kids 
you know, I, I, before you have kids, you don't get it. But when you do and you see a parent with a two year old or a three year old, you realize all the effort that it took to get that kid out the door that morning. Oh, yeah. And it's the same thing with books. You, you know, I know what it takes. And it's, it's you know, I mean, it's my job to make it really just effortless for the author. And, you know, you give me about 10, 12, 14 hours on the phone over a period of a few months and then you're going to be holding your book. And I like to say, I only work with people who are too busy to talk to me. If you're not that busy, you don't need a book. If you are that busy, you don't have the time to do it. It's not in your, it's not the highest and best use of your time to lock yourself away when you could be working or making money or with your family or sailing or whatever you like to do. So it's my job to simplify it. But man, you know, if you're doing it by yourself, it's a real struggle and it takes a huge amount of time. And, uh, you know, so my, my hat is off to anybody who gets to the finish line with or without somebody like me. Yeah. Okay. So you have this unique background because you have an Amherst college and you, you went through the university there. Now, was that in writing? Because you're a law school grad from Columbia. I mean, this yeah. is, this is no joke. Like, and most alum, the Colombian law, law degree are not authors, if that's fair. They're, they're yeah, that's you know, fair. maybe, maybe textbook authors. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, they're, you know, they're highly successful partners in law firms. Yes. And then, I mean, when I was when I was in college, if you'd asked me what I was, I would have said I was pre-novelist. I knew I wanted to write books and that's all I wanted to do. And I sold three out of the gate to Simon and Schuster, could not come to terms on the fourth. I, I did, you know, I graduated Columbia, got a job with a couple of law firms in Boston, one after the other. I didn't like it. They didn't like me. It was a really bad fit. I was just not meant to be there. We were talking about this. I represented this one guy who was just he had literally taken five widows of their life savings, which was only about $25,000 each. And he, he just, he, he ripped them off totally for the money. And I got him off. And then, you know, as I said last, I heard he was running a restaurant in Pennsylvania. And, I, you know, it was one of those gut check moments where you look at yourself in the mirror and you say, is this, you know, what am I going to become if I keep doing this? So, you know, I got out of that. I, I mean, I was unhirable after my second, after I failed, basically failed out of my second job because my attitude was so bad because I couldn't stand the work. I was unemployable as an attorney, ran out of money with the books. So, you know, seven years, by the time I was seven years out of law school, my, my colleague, my classmates are making partner at the top firms in New York or LA or Boston or wherever. And I was literally on heating assistance because I was, I was so broke that I wasn't making, you know, I, 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 was, I was below the poverty. I was literally a starving writer. I was below the poverty line in Massachusetts. And they, they give you heating assistance because they don't want the poor to freeze to death. Yeah. So, you know, that's where I was in my early 30s. And, you know, I started to turn around, met a mentor, got sober. That helped, you know, that helped a lot. It's just over 30 years at this point. And then I met a man who showed me how to start a business. He said, you know, you, you creative people don't know how to do your best work if you don't know how to put bread on the table or pay your rent. So he sat me down in a Dunkin' Donuts in Cleveland Circle in Boston. And he took out a sheet of paper and he said, okay, you're going to offer writing classes and we're going to figure out how much money you need to live on so you can work 20 hours a week and we'll see how much money you need to make per hour to do that and use the other 20 hours for your writing. And, you know, I had no other options. I did exactly what, I, what he said. I rented space in the yoga studio, put flyers all over the city of Boston, filled the classes, filled more classes, filled more classes. People said, can you consult with me? Then they said, why don't you write it for me? And one day I looked up and I realized I was making a lot more money ghostwriting than, than teaching and consulting. And that's how I backed into ghostwriting. So, you know, I like to say I overcame every advantage on my way to the bottom. And then, you know, <laughs> and it's been, you know, 
not necessarily straight uphill, but, but it's been, you know, the, the trend has been my friend, you know, over the last 29 years when I've been focused on running this business. When you think about like those early days and we talk about overcoming, I mean, that's a lot of the show. A lot of people look at Michael Levin now and go, oh, always oh, a successful champion, Columbia Law. I mean, come on. Now, how could anything ever go wrong? You know, yeah. it, it's a frustrating thing, you know, and, I, and, and it's hard for me, you know, as, as we as we record this show together, you know, someone creative uh, who, who kind of got out there and really discovered himself ended up partnering with Ellen and going on her show and becoming that well, you know, he, he just killed himself. He just killed himself recently. And I mean, just a guy who really just found his creative art. And I hate the starving artist term. I hate it. I'm like, why would you want to starve? Like, it's crazy. Like make it a business. And, you know, Etsy's tried to help people. And, and there's so many ways to actually take a creative, right. And, and really make that value. And, and yet, Talk, walk me through those, those late twenties and early thirties. Is it a challenge? Like, am I comparing myself to my Columbia grads? I mean, is it, is it, I always thought more of myself. Are you married at this point? Like walk me through the challenges of it all. Sure. Yeah. I just think back, I can't even believe it's the same person. I can't even believe it's me, but it's, it's, it's one lifetime. It's one, one story. I had a lot to overcome. It came out of a really crazy home you know, alcoholic, divorced home. There was everything you could think of. There was murder there, you know, I mean, literally there there were all kinds of really, really crazy things. And I was just, uh, you know, on the outside, I had it all going on, had all the, all, you know, more degrees than rectal thermometers, the expression goes and (laughs) great prospects. But the thing is that on the inside, I was such a mess. It was unbelievable. And I didn't know it. I thought it was everybody else's fault. Thought it was my boss's fault. Mm. You know, yeah. I, I, Trent, it's amazing how you can bring out the worst in any woman you date just by lying to her continually. Yeah, and, right, right. It's like, why did I do that? Because I hated my own guts so much that if you knew me, you'd hate them as much as I did. So you, you'd hate me as much as I hated myself. So I couldn't let you get to know me. So I just default to dishonesty as a way of being. And I, so I had a lot to clean up. And then I, I got in my early 30s and I'm still, you know, nowhere. And now I've got three, three Simon & Schuster novels. I've had my picture in People magazine for one of the books. I had a phenomenal review, multiple phenomenal reviews in the New York Times, the New Yorker, everywhere. I was just dying on the inside. And that's when I got into therapy and worked through some of the stuff from my childhood. And that's, you know, not to get too Oprah on you, but then that's when I got into recovery and got serious about that. And, you know, little by slow, I mean, by the time I got my business started, I had $29,000 worth of credit card debt, no income, 5,000 in an IRA, no savings. I'd taken my last thousand dollars of cash advance out of, off a credit card. That was the last one I could get. And I couldn't get any more credit cards. I was really, really jacked. And it took about five or six years to wipe out that credit card debt. And now there are months where I make more than I did in those five or six years. So, you know, it, it's mind blowing to me that I went from where I was. And the thing is that, you know, I wasn't a bad guy. I wasn't a, well, some of my actions weren't so great, but I, I mean, you know, I had literally everything going for me. I had a, you know, I came from, it was a beautiful home in a beautiful neighborhood, great education, great prospects, but I just, you know, I, I, I didn't think I deserved anything. I couldn't hang on to anything. So it, I am going full Oprah on you, aren't I? But I'm saying this all for a reason. It's because, yeah. you know, when you meet people who are 
successful. As you said, the tendency is to assume it's always been that way. They're on easy street the whole time. Everything got handed to them. A lot of things got hand, handed to me and I threw them away. And then, you know, once I got serious and, and once I really buckled down to what adulthood is, and once I got serious about work and self-care and, uh, you know, and, and all that, things turned around. Today, unless I told you this stuff, you'd never know it. Sometimes I just laugh. I'll be in a setting. I'll just be in a really, really high-end setting somewhere. And I'll be like, man, if only these people knew where I was, you know, X number of years ago. Because so, you know, it's like, don't let the fancy clothes fool you with me or with, you know, typically a lot of people had to really, not everybody, some people had more sense than I did, but a lot of us had to really, you know, find a rock bottom before we could you know, dig our way out of it and build ourselves up. So yeah, I think that, you know, they always say that, right. A rock, you know, the rock bottom's a firm foundation. Right. And do you, yeah. you know, it, it, two things I think, you know, that come to mind is, is one, you kind of use both words. You know, you, you talked a little bit about defending this kind of pond scum of a person, right. Who's taking from widows. And yeah. I mean, are you, I mean, you're 29 years old and you're not going the right direction and you're thinking ethically, I don't want any part of these people, but yeah. yet it seems like, you know, you're a liar. You're mirroring are you seeing some of yourself in some of these people going, wait a minute, this is not who I want to be. And then two, you use that word responsibility, like where at some point you're blaming everybody else. You're not taking responsibility. T- t- walk me through that. Was that something that transpired at some point yeah. where you saw like adulting? Yeah, big time. I mean, uh, on the first question, uh, I never really thought about that way. But, you know, the, my client and I had a lot in common, <laughs> you know. We both were, let's just say that we both weren't living up to our potential as human beings. And, you know, he was out there, you know, stealing money from elderly widows. And, and, uh, you know, I was, uh, it's theft. If you have a job and you're not going to do the job, then you're stealing from your employer. And if you're in a relationship and you're not participating fully as an adult, then you're stealing the peace of mind of the other person. So, yeah, there really wasn't that much of a difference. But now that you think about it between the two of us. I might have held myself up on a higher moral level. I'm his attorney, you know. Well, you know, no, that's just not true. So the magic word that you just said is responsibility. When I was able to say, I am the problem, not them, not her, not him, not the organization, not the institute. When I was able to say, I'm the problem, now all of a sudden, I have freedom to become the solution. I have the freedom to make changes you know, if it's all out there, there's nothing I can do about it. If the locus of control is internal and, and I realize that I have power over my own actions, over my own attitudes, over my own words, well, I can change those. I can learn how to change those. I didn't know how, but I can learn how. And then I can go out there and be the person I was meant to be and scrape off all that stuff that's like, that's, that, that was never supposed to be me. It was just a reaction to, you know, to negative stuff I'd been through defense mechanisms and what have you. And just, but, but just to be able to, to find a way to let go of that only happened when I was able to say, you know, I take responsibility. And this whole thing about, you know, hashtag adulting, you know, paid my phone bill, hashtag adulting. Hey, you knucklehead, you're supposed to pay your phone bill. It's a bill. Yeah. They don't want your yeah. money. They want their money. The IRS doesn't want your money. They want their money. Yes. So, you know, it's, like, it's sort of like, you know, take, people take, today take unseemly pride in doing things that previous generations just did because they were supposed yeah. to do them. And, you know, I mean, t- today, this whole quiet quitting thing, I've had two typists do the quiet quitting thing on me in the last six weeks. And I'm like, do they have enough money? Are they good? Can they afford to just like stop working? Do they think that they're going to, 
you know, I'm going to continue to throw them. You know, it just bewilders me. But that's the culture today. And it's not a winning hand. You know, a lot of people say we're a nation in decline, which is tragic. And it's true. And part of it is that we have this, this victimhood mentality in our society instead of the sense of respons- taking responsibility. And, you know, you can say, well, you know, Michael, it's easy for you to say that. You were, you were pretty much a victim. Yeah, kind of I was. And I, I brought that on myself. But you know what? I straightened out. I cleaned up my act. And so, and I've been running a pretty clean show now for more than 30 years. So I think I'm entitled to say, you know, if you don't take personal, personal responsibility for your life, then, then your life is your fault. And it was certainly mine. I love that. You know, I think one of the things that, you know, we talked about, let's talk a little bit about when I think about that generation of my parents, your parents, I mean, I felt like people coming out of the wars, right, especially the 40s and, you know, born in that genre and that generation. I mean, you know, you did hard things. I mean, it wasn't like no no easy was promised. It, it felt like a, a, a much greater appreciation for the simple things in life because they knew of a time when, when the simple things weren't available, yeah. right, where it was like, hey, we'd like to have milk delivered, but we can't rub two pennies together. So, you know, we're going to water down the milk we have and make it last another week. And maybe next week when the milk guy comes by, we can get it, you know? And, and that was just the sacrifice that the, the parents were making. And man, it, I mean, it thickened up the skin, man. I mean, it, it really helped people not only appreciate what they have, but also realize that, Hey, I can do hard things and it's going to be okay. Like nobody's done because we don't get the level of milk we'd like today, but we do got to figure it out. We don't have forever to figure it out. So we will have to take action and do something. Yeah, you're you're 100% correct. And I was basically mentored by men who were greatest generation men. They weren't guys, they were men. They came out of World War II or the Korean War. And they were a generation that, that just, they called them a silent generation not because they didn't have anything to say. It's because they did what they had to do without complaining and bitching and moaning. Yeah. It's a mentality. They just simply took life as it was. And, you know, I, I mean, I didn't, I, I didn't have to go to war. I, I didn't go through the depression. They did. And they took lessons from it, which is that, it, you know, life isn't always going to be easy or simple. But the thing is that you have to, you just have to bring your A game every day, be the best possible person you can be and don't complain. And don't whimper. There are people who have it far worse. Yeah. You know, there's a Joe Diffie song where you know he says we, we bitch about a dollar when there's those when there's those without a dime, yeah. and that's that's really how it is. We, yeah. I mean, you know, Tony Robbins says that in the United States, the poor are the one percent compared to the rest of the planet. And, yeah. if, and if you're middle class in this society, you might sit there and say, "Oh, I don't have enough money." Well, go make more money. Who's telling you not? Yeah. This is America. You know, quit complaining. I always say that if you don't like your job. The reality is that you actually have somebody else's job. You just don't like their job. Where's your job? Where's the thing that you're meant to do? Where's the business that you're meant to create and create wealth and create jobs and create opportunity and create, create, and, and, and create great results for people? Go do that. And then, and then, you know, but in the meantime, man, stop complaining. Stop complaining. It's, this is, people are killing themselves trying to get into this country. And I, we just take for granted every day. I, you know, I'm, I'm a very, very proud American. I'm very proud of this country. We're yeah. not perfect. No society is, but you know, no society has ever given this much freedom to this many people. And yeah, I, I am as well, Michael. And I really appreciate that, that sentiment, man. I mean, I, I've spoken, I think now 22 countries. I have a pretty thick passport <laughs> and I tell people like, Hey, you don't like it here, man. You got, you pass judgment on this place and listen, not perfect. 
you know, not, not, I'm sure there's ways, many ways for improvement, but I'm telling you that thicken up your passport, like find out how other people live yeah. because, you know, people in other country actually leave their firstborn to create opportunity. And the recent movie by Disney called Rise, which is a story of the Greek freak, who's the Milwaukee Bucks, you know, and it trial, it follows the trials of his father and mother and what they gave up to give those kids, those four boys, a chance to have a life, an illegal life in Greece. And, and like they're running, you know, they're always under the radar, you know, they're not legal citizenship. And, but they had to get out of just the demise and the oppression of Africa where they were at. And they literally left their firstborn son to a sister and made their way in the dark to, to create this life for the rest of their family. When, and, and then now when this young man at 19 or 20 years old is drafted into the NBA, within the next six months is the first time he meets his oldest brother when they can get him to the United States. And I'm telling you, like, this is not an uncommon tale. I mean, his, his, the four of them in the NBA, by the way, is a pretty uncommon tale. But the life that they had to choose to gain a foothold on this life and a chance for the United States is just not uncommon. Although, you know, we don't have to look to the NBA. We can look to the, the cleaners of our hotels, the people who joined and came here and started a bakery. And this is what our country was founded on, which is men and women that came across in a very difficult situation without complaint and said, I've been given an opportunity. And here I am as a global citizen here in the United States. And I have the chance, the opportunity to earn it. And it's never given. It's always earned. Right. And man, I think people miss that a lot, Michael. No, it's, it's true. And I, I just, it's just, everything that you're saying is true. I mean, my wife came from mainland China when she was 12 and her family had a story getting out. My mom's fam, my mom and her parents escaped, you know, escaped World War II and the Holocaust when my mom was four years old in 1940. So, you know, wow. we all, we're, we're all either immigrants or children of immigrants. And it's amazing how quickly we, we get fat and happy <laughs> once we get here. Right. And then right. he's like, hey, you know, where's mine? It ought to be yeah. handed to me. I'm thinking about one thing, which is that in, uh, I remember reading that in a number of countries, if you want to buy or sell real estate, you just want to buy a home, there are, can be as many as 120 steps in the process. And, yes. and that means going to the you know, government for, for, for this license or this approval or whatever. And here in the United States, it's like 12. There are like 12 yeah. things. And this means that in most other places, people cannot buy and sell houses to strangers. They can only sell to people in their community because there's no way to prove title and so on. So even just simply the fact that you can save up money and buy a home anywhere in this country and no one's going to question you. And they're just a handful of steps. The fact that you can drive. I mean, I think about this, you know, you go to Europe, you go to other places where, you know, where there's where there's a border every four hours, or whatever you can yes. drive in this country, 3000 miles. And all you have to do is get gas and no one's going to ask you for papers. It's going to be the same currency. If you don't like where you are, pick up and leave. It's a mobile society. If you see an opportunity. Yeah. When I was in college, there was one guy I was like, what are you going to do? He said, well, I'm going to move out to Phoenix because they don't have any discount tire stores out there. And he opened up discount tire stores. He's a gazillionaire today. Yes. You know, one of my buddies, do you know Dan? I'm just blanking on his name. He was the general manager. Dan, he was the general manager of the Red Sox. 
Uh, he's the one who said the thing about climate. Dombrowski. Yeah, yeah. So no, before yeah. but before this, this was this is like I'm blanking on his name just because I'm thinking of a thousand things. He's he's another guy I went to college with, and he decided that he wanted to go into baseball because you know he did the exercises in what colors your parachute, which was a career book back then. Yeah, and, sure. And, you know, it's like, what do you like? What do you think about when you're not thinking about anything else? Baseball. What do you do in the summers? Play baseball. What, you know, what's your favorite? And so he applied to all the major league teams. He got a job with Milwaukee, $12,500 as an assistant scout. Six years yep. later, he was the general manager of the, of the Boston Red Sox. And then the, and then the, Dan Harrington? No, he'll kill me because I'm not, I'm not, uh, yeah, I can see his face. Like I and I, you know, we know exactly who it is because that's, yeah. what, but you know, so it's sort of like, not like, well, you know, his father was a baseball guy and yeah. his father was baseball. The guy just simply wanted and went for it. And, yeah. you know, I mean, Trent, you and I were talking about this earlier that, you know, most people just for whatever reason won't, can't be bothered, can't be bestirred to just go after the th- thing that, that would make them the happiest. It's out there, it's worth it. Go get it. <laughs> you know, am I am I going yeah. to ask for people? Am I, you know, and, and I don't want to sound like a jerk, like, oh, well, you know, I figured something out. And I, all I'm saying is that I just love the fact that we have freedom and opportunity here, that other people are risking their lives or giving up their lives every day in order to get for themselves or their children. And we just, we, you know, it's just our, our heritage, our birthright. And we just I hate to say it, we just piss all over it. We don't take advantage of, of the opportunities we have. And then uh, and then younger people today are taught that government's the answer to everything. And it just, you know, it just it makes me it makes me crazy. I don't know if I'm if I'm alienating potential ghostwriting. <laughs> 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 oh, you're good. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. If you don't like it. I love it. I love it. I mean, I think I think let's get to this quote because this is important. Sure. You know, I, I love the quote from the four disciplines of execution, which is winners when shown data that they are losing, find a way to win. And that's and I I mean, that has been the story of my life and watching people closely, being a part of winning teams, being part of organizations that are striving for something more and and sustainability that creates value for the organization, for their people, for their clients, all those things. And so let's talk a little bit about yourself. I mean, you've been through some trials. Let's, Let's talk about one of those trials where... You were back up against that, you know, back up against it in a corner, thinking like, man, this is not what I was hoping for. And and realizing like, hey, it's not over. I've got to do something different. And the data is definitely against me. I'm, I'm not going to win. Keep going this way. It's not going to work. So you pivoted. You shifted. You did something different. Let's talk about some of those. First of all, give me the scenario. And then let's talk about the learnings for people that are out there. There is a lot of people right now that are in a game and they're losing. I mean, it's, it's not going well. Right. And likely they've got to do something different. I mean, there's been a lot of out and, and, and a lot of people are losing under no fault of their own. They had a great game game plan at 18 and then 2020 came and changed everything. Right. And that game plan went out, went out with it because now all of a sudden your store is not even going to be open and not open for nine months. Doesn't really work. Right. That doesn't work in retail. So let's talk about that scenario for you, Michael. Need to hydrate but tired of plain old water? You need Rebellious Infusions. No sugar, no calories, loaded with antioxidants to boost your immune system. And L-thionine for brain health. 10 organic flavors and convenient liquid packets. Just add 16 ounces and you are on your way. Rethink your drink at drinkrebellious.com. For 10% off your next purchase, use the code 99999. Do you want to be our next guest? Or do you have inspiring stories to share? Or do you love to inspire, support, and empower thought leaders? 
Feel free to send Trent a direct message on Instagram or Facebook at Leadershipity.